I suppose the key that unlocked um, my understanding of English grammar was when Alex Tilbury started talking about the idea of distance and separating the ideas of tense and time. And this is still something that um, most of my students struggle with at a conceptual level, but when mm -hmm. they accept it, everything falls into place. Hello, 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 hello. And welcome back to the Clark and Miller English Podcast. And if this is your first time here, well, you know, welcome. Good to have you here. Everybody is welcome. And I feel that uh, I should probably give you a warning today uh, because, uh, well, it's a geek warning, really, because this, this episode, uh, this episode uh, of the Clark and Miller English Podcast that hopefully you are about to listen to, is incredibly geeky. This is real language geek stuff. Um, I Basically, it's an interview with the remarkable uh, Christopher Walker, not to be mistaken for the Hollywood actor Christopher Walken. Uh, Christopher Walker is the author of um, English is a Simple Language, a really, really interesting book um, that gets into the deep um, underlying um, features of, of, of English and, and how grammar works and how the language works. And in this interview, of course, we talk about all that stuff. Uh, we ask questions like, can we get to the heart of, of the meaning of things like modal verbs and, and uh, conditionals? And can we, can, we, can we divide English grammar into two basic types of form? Are they subjective and objective forms? What does thinking about English grammar in different ways like this do? Does it help us? Does it help us uh, learn English better? Does it help our students learn English better? Whether you're a teacher or a student, you know, maybe thinking about English in different ways can be very helpful. And uh, yeah, we explore this sort of um, thinking. Uh, in this interview. It was a really cool interview, a bit strange because uh, now I live in Australia and it was early in the morning for me and late at night for him. So we were in very different sort of head spaces, which was cool. It meant we were thinking in different ways. And I think that comes across in the interview. Um, I won't uh, talk about the details because, you know, we're going to listen to it now. But um, yeah, here it is. Here's me and Christopher Walker getting geeky about English. Hey, cool, Chris. Nice to meet you. Um, nice to meet you too, Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let me quickly just get an overview of uh, who you are. may or may not make the podcast. It depends how well it goes. But I'll just um, ask you because we ran into each other online. I think you commented on one of my what was it videos, blog posts, something like that. Very like ages ago now, wasn't it? Do you remember? Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly the moment, no. And yeah. um, even if I do, it's possible that I'm confusing it with another interaction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> possible. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so, well, basically, yeah. We, I mean, you, you made a comment on something. I can't remember what, exactly what it was, but, you know, something could have, like, you, you had a, an insight into what I was talking about. And, yeah, we got chatting about that. And, yeah, we realized we both share a lot of geek um, a lot of like English language teaching um, geekiness. I think. Oh, absolutely. Is that a fair comment? You reckon? Oh, absolutely. Right absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you if you stay in the field, 
for more than a year, you either become jaded over time, mm-hmm. and the last mm-hmm. thing you want to do is talk about anything teaching related. And I, I know a few mm-hmm. people like that, but that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. They do their jobs and they're fine at what they do. Or you you get out of the shallow end of the pool, you walk around to the deep end, you climb to the top of the, the tallest diving board you can see, and you <laughs> leap out into the blue. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we're both more that sort of person and it's it's oh, yeah. very nice it's very nice to um to meet um such individuals as yourself and it's one of the redeeming features of things like facebook is that there are people um out there who share interests that i mean that was the original purpose not to send mm-hmm. each other anti-vax conspiracy theories but <laughs> to to find like-minded individuals who uh, you can form a connection with Mm-hmm. So it's nice that yeah. it's nice that it's not finished with social media. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, I this is off topic now, but whatever, it's cool, it's interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, do you remember in the nineties, like the whole um, optimistic utopian vision of the internet was uh, was that you know we'd all be sharing information, that we'd all be networking, we'd all be meeting people um and and forming stronger like alliances and and groupings and things like that and there was a lot of like and we did i mean i remember i remember how much um effort and energy people expended on getting onto a blog role so you'd have your little (laughs) website set up maybe it was just a geocities account or something like Mm. that you'd find other similar websites and you'd write to the uh the guy writing it and uh, say hey could i add you to my blog role but could you add me to yours as well and I mean, that mm-hmm. was the the big kind of like friend me sort of thing from before Facebook's <laughs> time. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm of that generation. Yeah. 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 I think I might be too. Um, yeah. And I guess I think also the, the thing I wanted to like, the thing I've been thinking about in terms of what's happened to the Internet. I mean, a lot of like a lot of things have gone badly that the utopian vision didn't really predict. But. All the stuff that the the early optimists, the early internet optimists were pr- predicting, a lot of that is also still there. It's just difficult to see because we've got a lot of um, like dark stuff as well. But um, all those really positive things that the internet was supposed to do, it did also, it, it's, it is achieving that at the moment. And that's one of the reasons we're sitting down talking to each other now. That's very um, true. This is this is the sort of thing these guys were talking about. Yeah, I like it. Anyway, so back to back to the topic. So, yeah, we're both basically we're both English teachers. We're both um, very passionate and nerdy about about our craft. I, I, I get the impression from you. I'm speaking for myself, but you're nodding. So I'm going to. Oh, gonna, yeah, I'm yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, OK, so could you quickly, um, I, I barely know anything about you. So this is a great opportunity um, for you to introduce yourself. Just tell, tell us who you are and what's your background. OK, um, well, you mentioned the word uh, nerd, nerdiness already. Mm-hmm. Um, my background is not English and not teaching. I actually hold a, a degree in physics. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, mm. But I wasn't very good at it. And way back when I was doing this first degree, um, I took extra credits in Spanish to kind of um, bulk out my scores because I, I couldn't get the quantum mechanics stuff at all. So okay. um, I figured that stuff that sounds difficult. It is pretty difficult. Yeah. Mm. Uh, ironically, the more you know about it, the less you understand. 
Um, yes. So I was on the on on track for a low degree classification when I discovered that you could do beginner Spanish, and I really took to the course. But what was really interesting was at the end of the course, my uh, teacher took me to one side and said, "You know, Chris, I think I think English as a foreign language teaching that's that's going to be the career for you." And at the time, I scoffed. I was like, "No." I'm going to be a rocket scientist or go into economics or something. But she was right. Um, this <laughs> this turned out to be the ideal path for me. But it, it took me a while to really understand that. Um, but I do enjoy the teaching. And even after so many years, it hasn't grown stale. I do have moments where I wonder if this is really what I want to be doing. But that's usually after I've just been teaching a pre-intermediate teenage class. <laughs> I think we all have thoughts like that when we teach pre-intermediate teenagers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not there. Not the ideal uh, student profile. Not um, necessarily. It, I mean, a lot mm. of it depends on the background. If it's a, a group of pre-intermediate teenagers who simply had never had the opportunity to study English, then you might find uh, willing candidates there. But mm -hmm. what generally mm -hmm. happens is that they've had English forced upon them for so long that they yeah. have grown tired of it. And you can see it even from the first lesson. It's, yes. it's an uphill and, struggle. And you can relate to it, too, because in their position, you would also probably be similarly jaded as well. Because Oh, I'd be even more jaded because <laughs> I that's their attitude is how I felt towards German lessons when I was at school. And those were school mm -hmm. lessons. Let's not forget. Mm -hmm. Those were the mm -hmm. standard curriculum. I didn't have to go for three hours a week to some school on the other side of town for additional German lessons. I think mm -hmm. I really would have rebelled if that was the case. So yeah. all things considered, I think these these students, when you get them like this, they are they're doing better than I would have done in the same set of situation uh, circumstances. So yes. uh, credit where it's due. Yes, yes. It's not fair, but it's happening. Exactly. And yeah. It's, it's good that at least some of them are going for it. They're trooping along. Well, that's right. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it really is that they've just never had the chance. They didn't have, uh, maybe they were in a, a school where you had a class size of 35. And you can't really learn a language when you're one of 35 students yeah. in a class. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, so great. And you're at IH, International House. That's where I uh, did my CELTA. Not the one in, not any of the ones in Poland, but in, in London. But um, I have a soft spot for IH uh, as a result. Oh, that's nice. Because they, they got me started. Yeah. Um, cool, great. Um, did, you, did you ever do anything like the Delta or the TESOL or anything like that? I've got an MA right. in Applied Linguistics and TESOL with the University mm -hmm. of Leicester, which is also where I did my physics degree. Oh, yes. We it was, talk uh, about this. Yeah. yeah. It, was, mm -hmm. uh, it was a great course. I enjoyed a lot of it, um, but it didn't have any kind of practical element, which is what the Delta would have given me. Um, yeah. Um, great, great. So that's why you're, yeah, this is what, is this what brought you into like the world of, of, um, let's call it grammatical philosophy for lack of a better term because you know this is how we started talking we were talking about yeah. mike mike lewis and and abstract yes. um ways of looking at, at grammar and the underlying um patterns in grammar that yeah. go way beyond what course books teach well yeah, yeah I mean, this, this this was some, the sad irony of the course actually was that um i did the um the language awareness course that Alex Tilbury wrote for IH about 10 or 12 years ago. He he wrote this course and about five, six years ago, I think it would have been, I did this mm -hmm. course with my school. 
And it was I, the I, kind of mm-hmm. eye-opening moment where it was like, oh, this is what's really going on with grammar. A lot of that was built on Michael Lewis's The English Verb. What okay. really annoyed me was that after getting a, a real taste for it and thinking as an iconoclast, like, let's break it all down and build it back up again. Mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. I was hoping my uh, masters would do. But looking through the bibliography of the masters, you had a lot of of the classics from the 70s and the 80s as grammar guides. And I've still got a couple that mm-hmm. I bought secondhand, like Leach and Svartbick or whoever yeah. it is that wrote that description of English grammar. And they're so mm-hmm. old and and so kind of with the program that – I don't find them useful anymore because I kind of disagree mm-hmm. with the way they set the stall out, especially with things like present perfect. I've come yeah, to almost loads. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, going back quickly, you, you took, is it Alex Pilbury? Alex Tilbury. Yeah. He's a mm-hmm. teacher and teacher trainer. I think he does CELTAs okay. at IH Wrocław and I think he does some teaching in um, Warsaw with the British Council. I, mm-hmm. I, I keep in touch with him when I can, but he's a busy guy. So, um, okay. So what was it about his language awareness course that gave you your first sort of like eye-opening moment there? Give, give us some examples. Like, I suppose the key that unlocked um, my understanding of English grammar was when Alex Tilbury started talking about the idea of distance and separating the ideas of tense and time. And this is still something that um, most of my students struggle with at a conceptual level But when Mm -hmm. they accept it, everything falls into place and conditionals no longer present a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, uh, the funny thing is that in a language like Polish, there is a similar phenomenon that tense and time are often divorced. We can see it most simply um, if we say, "Okay, I'm in the kitchen. My wife is there. And I say, oh, I'm putting the kettle on to make a cup of tea. Will you have one as well? Mm -hmm. So that's me addressing my wife. And I use will as a modal verb in its present form. I don't, mm-hmm. we don't go along with the whole future simple thing. We can abandon that. We mm-hmm. use will there in its present form because there is no distance between my wife and myself in a kind of social context. Yeah. However, transport the whole situation to work. I'm in the kitchen at work and the director of studies appears and I say, oh, uh, good morning, director. Uh, would you like a cup of tea as well notice the switch from will from will you have to would for would you like would being Mm -hmm. the past form of the modal verb now this is something that's so obvious that we just accept it without thinking but it is worth thinking about because uh when there's no social distance between us we use a present form but when we want to show that there is a social distance between the, the speaker and their um interlocutor we step back a form Hence, mm-hmm. going from will to would. But notice, yes. crucially, that the time doesn't change. We're still talking about the present moment looking towards the future. It's the verb form, the tense that changes to mark yes. that distance. And if, yes. you, if you can't separate time and tense, you're always going to have problems with conditionals because uh, you meet a lot of sentences that use past verb forms but are actually talking about the present time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was that was something on the language awareness course that I was like, wow, so, that's incredible. Yes. Yeah, so let's analyze this a little more because it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, I think students often um, get moments of um, like revelation on this because you very often I often find that most students 
get, uh, find it easy to latch on to this idea that, for example, can you as a request is informal and could you is slightly more polite. That seems yeah. to be an, an easy concept for a lot of students to grasp. Yeah. Um, and this is like the tip of this iceberg, isn't it? Sure. I think the yeah. reason it's the tip of the iceberg is that for a lot of students, they don't think of the modal verbs as being present form and past form. They just mm -hmm. think of can and could. It's when we see things like um, if you, what would it be like? If you had told me earlier, for example, like the students mm -hmm. might not know necessarily what what time we're talking about and how it works within a, a conditional construction. It's it's when it's not a modal verb that's involved, when it's a lexical verb that's involved, that the students start to get a little bit mixed up about tense and time because it's quite mm -hmm. easy in your head to separate will and would. You can treat them as if they were two modal verbs instead of one. Does that make sense? Yes. yes, yes, absolutely. And I think, um, again, going back to that can, could thing, it's the same sort of pattern, isn't it? Yeah. And if you wanted, because we're, we're getting into Mike Lewis territory here, aren't yeah. we? We're getting into this, his notion of past, the past tense not really being about the past, but signaling distance. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, if you wanted, I mean, I'm, I'm just getting an idea now just from this conversation that if you wanted to get your students to understand this very abstract notion mm -hmm. and something not just abstract, but like breaking them away from what they were kind of taught and, you know, providing them a completely different framework of reference, this can could um, difference that they're already quite like comfortable with. Um, can be a good sort of gateway drug into, into yeah. the Mike Lewis um, new framework. And yes. Yeah, just a thought there. Yeah. Sort of, one, yeah. One of the things that I'm quite pleased with for myself is that um, how, having read Michael Lewis and having read or at least studied uh, Alex Tilbury's work with mm. uh, all these discussions of, of um, distance. I'm quite pleased with myself for at least going a little like half step further, as in when you look at, I mean, it's a long time since I read Michael Lewis, I have to admit, but when I looked back through my notes for the language awareness course, Tilbury talks about um, how you might step back because of time, which is, the first situation like today i'm yeah. doing this yesterday i was doing this you yes. might step back because of politeness and you might step back because of let's go for an example for each one let's go for an example for each okay. one so so the time one this mm -hmm. is the most obvious reason that we step back um mm -hmm. so right now i'm talking to you but an hour ago i was talking to my wife so yeah. we're using um a change in verb form to signal um difference in time or distance in time yeah. from the present yeah. to the past um, yes. politeness we've talked about will you have a cup of tea compared to would you have would you like a cup of tea so mm -hmm. we're going from mm -hmm. will to would that signals politeness um, mm -hmm. and then uh, reality we have the paradox that comes with the fact that the present moment is unchangeable so i would say um if i had more money I would do something like this. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. impossible to have more money than you have at the moment. My students always complain, no, it's not. You could have more money. You could go and get a job. I was like, yes, but that's in the future. Right now in, at the, in this present moment, <laughs> the amount of money in my hand is, is static. I can't change it. It's impossible. It introduces is, a paradox. This is a very 
physics. Um, it is. So, it yeah, is, this is a, yeah. a fresh yeah. way of looking at it. I've yeah. never seen it like this. It's yeah. almost quantum physics, isn't it? I know. It makes me think that maybe I should have studied a bit harder back then. <laughs> um, Fantastic. So yeah, we've you got can't this, change this we've reality. Got, exactly. So yeah. to show the fact that you can't change reality, but you want to talk about a changed reality, you're stepping back one verb form. Uh, to introduce distance reality what i've mm -hmm. done and it's um, a very quick plug for my book which is uh, english okay. is a simple language which maybe we'll we'll talk about or not later we can talk about that for sure oh mm -hmm. thank you uh, but yeah. one of the things that i've done is just i tidied that system up a little bit okay i'm, I'm one of my big passions is looking for the core the heart of what we're talking about and if we talk about distance we can both agree on time Mm -hmm. and when there yes. is distance in time we can agree on that and it's not so up to us well it's just not up to us if i start mm -hmm. talking about last year you're not going to disagree with me about when that is you're not going to say that's 2024 because that's two years in the future mm -hmm. when we say last year we're going to be talking about a time in the past so we agree about that and it's yes. not up to us what it is it's not um, a matter of debate if it's not a matter of debate, we can say that it is objective. Yes. So when we introduce a change in verb form to show a change in time, that is objective distance. We all agree on it. Yeah. Yeah. The other that, two, and that's though, what our students yeah. also agree on. As yeah. Well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Everyone agrees mm -hmm. on it. That's fine. Mm -hmm. So that's one form of distance. That's the objective mm -hmm. distance that we we mm -hmm. experience through changes in time. I know it's a weird example right now, of course, because where you are it's tomorrow <laughs> yes so, so maybe you we could may argue not agree it's, on that yeah but we agree <laughs> yeah. that it is though we agree mm -hmm. that from my perspective looking at yours it's tomorrow where you mm -hmm. are and for me it's yesterday still won't be for much longer <laughs> but it's objective because we have clocks that measure these things and we all agree on the calendar different countries might have different calendars but we agree that those calendars are true in that country so mm -hmm. yeah that's that's all fine Yes. If we look we at the other two, time. yeah. Mm -hmm. If we look at the other two kinds of distance, though, when we're talking about politeness, politeness depends on who you are and how you see yourself with other people, mm -hmm. doesn't it? So, yes. um, I give the example of of seeing Tom Cruise. For mm -hmm. me, the uh, actually no, that's that would be a better example for reality. So, um, the best example then with uh, the politeness would be, you know, speaking to a friend compared to speaking to a boss. That is mm -hmm. a relationship that really depends on a lot of things. It uh, it just so happens actually that my director of studies at school is an old friend. We've known each other for years, so I don't feel that sort of distance. The mm -hmm. school owner, on the other hand, is the sort of person I see once a year, and mm -hmm. I do feel a little bit shy speaking to her so i tend to mm -hmm. use more distant forms out of politeness mm -hmm. but it is entirely subjective so distance form would be uh using could instead of can for example for example yeah but mm -hmm. it is subjective it depends on the person yes reality too is subjective mm -hmm. paradoxes aside reality is subjective and this is where the tom cruise example comes in so i was getting ahead of mm -hmm. myself earlier um <laughs> i'm i'm unlikely to see tom cruise it's very yes. unlikely. So if I want to talk about the idea of meeting him, I might use a past form. If I met Tom Cruise, I would ask him about uh, when the next um, Top Gun film will come out. Mm 
for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm using those past forms not to talk about the past, as we've already discussed. I'm using those past forms to talk about the present, looking at the future, but in a situation that I just don't think is likely. For me, yes. it's not likely. However, yes. if I was a member of the Church of Scientology, that might be completely different. Mm-hmm. Or if I was a member of um I don't know, the the what what do they call these um the people that follow celebrities around? Their entourage. There we are. If I was a member of the entourage, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, Oh, I'm seeing Tom Cruise later. I suppose I I'm I'm gonna ask him. Yeah, I'll ask him about the next Top Gun film. So yeah, that reality. Yes. Is, exactly. If if or when I see him, I'll do this. For yeah. them, that reality is entirely subjective. Yes, it depends on so many so many factors outside the language. Exactly. So politeness mm-hmm. and reality are both examples of subjective distance. Yes. So we, we, and... we're trimming it down. Instead of having three forms of distance, we now only have two. Mm-hmm. And those two forms, the objective distance of time being different and the subjective distance of either politeness or reality being different, mm-hmm. those two can then be used in conjunction to build I the see. whole system of um, conditionals. All of the conditionals can be built from yes. that. Cool. So you're just to recap, you're taking... Because Lewis... Going back to Lewis, who kind of started all this stuff yeah. back in the ni- early 90s, I think. the No, 85, wasn't it? English mm-hmm. verb. Anyway, 80s. Um, he, he basically lists the types of distance in, yes. in his book. So, you know, you've got distance of time, distance of register, distance of reality, distance of... There was another one, but I can't remember what it was. It's very um, likely there are others, but I think they still yeah, fall into one, of, of, one of these two mm. umbrella terms, don't they? Yeah, so you're sort of funneling these into kind of two general terms yes yes and yeah, i feel I that see. it helps because objective and objective exactly now to kind of do a kind mm-hmm. of um, a corollary of this yes modal verbs and this is i think something else that lewis has talked about a little bit modal verbs have a kind of core meaning and from those core meanings we get all of their secondary meanings yeah or tertiary okay. meanings in some case. This is okay. Let me get my head around this really briefly. Yeah. So you've got a core meaning. So should we take something like can? Yes. Okay. It's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. I've I've thought a lot about can, and I think that this is my thoughts have led me back to Lewis once again, and I think mm-hmm. Tilbury talked about it in the language awareness course as well. Uh, can essentially essentially talks about freedom to act. Mm-hmm. That's the essential meaning. Now, if we look at can for ability, we're talking about your freedom to act in a physical manner. Can you swim? Yes, mm-hmm. I can. I am free to act that way in water. Even if it's um, psychological, you know, can you can you speak French? Yeah, it's, it's some it's sort the of freedom physical to ability. Act. Yeah, it's the freedom to act via mm-hmm. speaking French. But mm, if a student mm, puts mm. their hand up and say, can I go to the toilet? They're not asking about their freedom to act physically. They're acting. They're asking for their freedom to act socially. Despite what your pedantic teacher may have said. Exactly. Because they're you missing the, the point. They are missing yeah. the point, aren't they? I don't it's know. A funny little, yeah, yes. it's a funny little yeah. joke. And I, I actually do reference that in the book because mm-hmm. it is a funny joke it's a, a standard amongst teachers mm-hmm. but it misses yes. the point because the let's, let's mention the joke ask... very quickly just for anyone who didn't 
oh, doesn't know it. It's like for the one person living under a rock, a student <laughs> student puts their hand up and says, "Excuse me, teacher, can I go to the toilet?" And the teacher looks at them and says, "I don't know. Can you?" Nice. And watches. Yes. To see yes. what happens. And and looks a little smug yeah. in the process. Exactly. Yes. They, they, yes. And then they go on to a discussion of the difference between can I and may I, which again it misses mm -hmm. the point because that's not really how language works. That that's the no. whole no. descriptivist. Um, oh, it's the descriptivist versus prescriptivist. It's a um, classic example of that. Is, yeah. yeah. But yes. what the student is asking for is freedom to act, but not. Mm -hmm physically not literally but metaphorically yes. or socially now yes. if you were to teach all of the different ways that can is used or applied the students would have a fairly long list of meanings that they'd have to learn and mm -hmm. i've seen this just in the last week actually teaching from ready for advanced where mm -hmm. uh, we had a little kind of mobile uh, modal review section and um, it, there was like a box full of, of different examples of the way that it can be used. So uh, we've got can here for request deduction, criticism, inability, theoretical possibility and prohibition. <laughs> yeah. Which is a fairly intimidating list. Yeah. Of possible it's not meanings. good to give students long lists of things. It's they not. immediately go. Exactly. Oh, this is difficult. Exactly. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. is what brings me back then. To Lewis. And yes, there is a long list of reasons for why we might include distance in our grammar, but mm -hmm. they all fall under one of two umbrella terms. They are either objective forms of distance or they are subjective. Oh, back to this. Cool. Okay. So you're taking the same framework and you can apply it to the modal. Yes. Interesting. I okay. think that everything works that way because you need to go for the heart understanding before you go for all of the kind of the filtering down. I see what you mean when you said you you try to go a bit deeper. You try to that's to yeah get, because yeah, I think yeah. that there's value to going deeper and the way that you can construct conditionals if you go for the two forms of distance, objective and subjective. The mm -hmm. way that you can form conditionals as a result becomes almost beautiful in its uh, symmetry and its simplicity. It's a little bit like the unified uh, field theory that scientists and physicists have been striving for for the last hundred years. They want to mm -hmm. bring together gravity and electromagnetism, everything else they can think about, put it all into the one theory equation. of everything yeah yeah that came out i was watching only connect last night that actually came up i don't know if you watch that show it's fantastic uh, i haven't seen it yeah. no um it's very good yeah 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 but okay, that's, that's wow. basically okay, what so we're looking at i like this yeah so we, yeah because this is what lewis was attempting mm. um and he did a good job of of sort of getting a lot of things together that no one's <laughs> no one's done before with 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 the language or very so few you, you people. Wanna... I found a book yeah. that I think was written by a guy called Close, and he tried oh, to do cool. something um, well before Lewis. In fact, the do you remember the, the name of the book? Um, yeah, I think it was like Grammar for Teachers or something prosaic oh, like something that. Really I've got it on my like I've got it on my Goodreads. Um, <laughs> Grammar for Teachers uh, Close, like yeah, RL Close, something like okay, that. Me, I'll check it out. Yeah, let me see. A, a teacher's okay, yeah. grammar, sorry, a teacher's grammar. Teacher's grammar. Um, the central problems of English. It's very mm -hmm. dry. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not really something that you want to sit in bed reading because you'll you'll find that you get a good night's sleep if you do. Uh, <laughs> but what's interesting is that it's an old text resurrected by Lewis, because Lewis provides a kind of commentary. 
So mm. at the end of every so chapter, he talks uh, a bit about what Close had said. So Lewis himself was standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy like, kind of laid the groundwork a bit. When was this published? Um, I think it was built on another grammar. Uh, according to the introduction, mm -hmm. it was built another grammar that was written in the 1890s. So all wow. of what we're talking about has its antecedents. And I, I think that, you know, if our field was taken seriously enough, maybe it is um, already and I don't know about it, but you could do a nice kind of almost a history or even historiography of mm -hmm. uh, English grammar and the way that it's being treated. And you'll see, mm -hmm. I think, that there are two kind of fields within it. Mm -hmm. You've got mm -hmm. the the people who have come to accept that there is a future simple form and who think present perfect works one way. And then you've got others who say, well, actually, those descriptions are not fit for purpose. And we need to mm -hmm. really look at how language is used and the meaning mm -hmm. that's conveyed in different situations. Yes, that would bring us to our test uh, questions. But I want to ask you a few questions because in this conversation, you've brought up like so many interesting points. Um, one one thing in particular, actually, was um, I, I just really like the way that you sort of apply a, a, a sort of uh, your your background in physics is obviously influencing. I think um, it, yeah, the way you're you're, yeah. you're uh, being able to look look at these frameworks. Yeah, and I just want wanted to know. I I actually recorded a podcast ages ago but i i didn't publish it because frankly i i, I felt i came across really terribly in it and i was too embarrassed to publish <laughs> it but the topic was interesting and it was about the future and it's about whether the future exists or not oh that's and, a good topic yeah and you know the, i've i've had my own sort of revelations in 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 this area because you know like we well there's no future tense obviously in english uh this is this is the first point of or, or to clarify, what, what we mm -hmm. might want to say there is that there is no one unique way of expressing the future. Yeah. And at the yes. same time, there is no one way of expressing the future that can't also be used to express another time. That's exactly. kind of the crucial yeah. thing here. That's it. And one thing I noticed was that, generally speaking... When you, if you want to make your your future more certain, you make it more presenty. Okay, so like, you know, if your uh, will is quite a, a vague sort of, um, it can be, it can feel quite vague if you're talking about intentions or plans or even predictions, right? Because you know, will probably is often collocated, and you know, you have a sort of modality. It's a modal verb after it all. Is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, if it's, I could okay, interject very yes, quickly yes, so here, go on, go on. one of those eye openers, the kind of eureka mm -hmm. moments that I have with my students is I ask them, where does the word modal come from? It's mm -hmm. an adjective, but it's derived from another word. And I ask them, so which word is it that it comes from? I don't know. Let me think about it. I'm thinking modern. I'm thinking moderate. No. Nope. Moderation. Mo it's going to be a surprise, isn't it? It is. It's mood. Ah, really? Yeah. That makes sense because you get Halliday and... Um, yeah, that's another kettle of fish. So, yeah. so if these words all correspond to your mood, hmm. are the moods of two people ever completely the same? Mm-hmm. Even if two people say they are happy, are they both equally happy and happy in the same way? 
No, they're it's not. so subjective. It is so subjective, which is yeah. why, I mean, that's the explanation for what you're saying. When we say mm -hmm. things with will, there is that sense that it's more to do with feeling. And it is. That's mm -hmm. by definition. Mm -hmm. Modal verbs yeah. are all in some way subjective, maybe very slightly subjective to completely subjective, but they yeah. include a, a hint of subjectivity. And Lewis... Yes, and Lewis covers this. He his whole thing about modals is yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to sort of talking about the future, you know, Will's like the first thing students think about. But yeah, you want to make it more certain. You bring it closer to to the sort of present. You say going to um, yeah to make it a little more certain. But present continuous. I know I'm broad strokes here, and it's not always the case. But generally speaking, and then present well, continuous the, sort of yes. feels a little more certain and organized yeah and the closer and then you the come most to the certain presence. would be present simple because exactly, present yeah. simple i mean if if you could travel back in time i've often thought mm. about building a time machine just so i can travel back in time to the day on which the present simple tense or verb form was named so yes. that i could slap a bit <laughs> of sense into the person doing it I'm like stop stop we almost never use it as a present form, okay? It's, it's the present, present form, form grammatically, but it's not present and it's hardly simple. But only because someone named it. Yeah. Present. present. Yeah. Simple. That's all there is. I mean, yeah. it's, grammatically, it's the present form, but as we know, time and tense are not the same. So if it's the present form of something, it doesn't mean it's the present time. So present simple mm -hmm. is an accurate name for it, but it's just not very helpful. But you're absolutely yes. right. If if you say to your, your friend, uh, right, um, yes, don't worry. I know we're meeting at the cafe soon and I will leave in like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. The friend mm -hmm. can take that with a pinch of salt depending on how well they know you. But mm -hmm. if the friend then says, okay, that's fine, but please remember, the bus leaves at mm -hmm. 10 past, mm -hmm. there's no subjectivity there. That is a mm -hmm. purely objective rendering of yeah. the truth. And that's the most objective because it is present simple. It's a statement of fact, nothing else. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's immutable. I, I sometimes call it God's tense. It's absolutely unbreakable. Um, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a YouTube video on that when I'm chatting with a student and, tr and trying to explain it to them. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's like omnipresent. It's, it's universal. Yeah. It's timeless. Um, yes, timeless it, is exactly like it. A, yeah, it's outside time. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, okay, we could, we could talk about this stuff for ages, but um, I wanted to move on a little bit to... Um, uh, to to the we we originally planned on having a sort of um, no let me go back a, another step tests and quizzes and uh, and tasks basically and tasks even yeah yeah even classroom exercises often and I think any teachers listening are going to find this really a very familiar situation that you're you're going through some answers of some exercises mm -hmm. or quizzes or whatever mm -hmm. with your students and you find that when there are three options available and you're supposed to only have one as the correct answer, you find that two or even all three are yeah. totally usable. But yeah. the most interesting thing about that is that depending on which answer you do give, you have a completely different picture in your head as oh, to yes. what the, is happening in the conversation. Yeah. And that's partly because these exercises and test questions are completely contextless. They're yes. completely out of context, yeah. which is a big yeah. problem, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it also gives a very valuable insight 
to this underlying like framework or pattern of the language because you it really lays bare um how this stuff works when you see that the wrong answer is possible and then you ask the question why is that possible what's the situation where people are going to be using this mm -hmm. and you can really see how this stuff works so i think yeah. badly designed tests and exercises are actually a great great they are. learning opportunity and can i start with one that most mm. teachers will yeah. be very familiar with yeah, and again do. plug for the book because it's in yes. there yeah. um i remember when I when I was applying for my CELTA and I did the telephone interview and they did the kind of rudimentary grammar question things, mm -hmm. one of them was um, the, the 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 classroom is hot and you want the the window to be opened. Which of these three sentences would be most appropriate for the student to say if they're going to offer to open the window? A, I'll open the window. B. I'm going to open the window. See, I'm opening the window. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, when you're applying for the CELTA, you're expected to then say, well, I'll open the window is the right option because the prevailing wisdom is that will is used to talk about a decision made at the moment of speaking, whereas be going to is used to talk about a decision made before the moment of speaking, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a nice kind of explanation except that it doesn't really hold water because no one that's not, speaks like that no one speaks like that no one thinks like that and no. that's not what mm -hmm. these things mean either it's an explanation mm -hmm. after the fact mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the things that i do in the book is i look at those three options and i say okay since we've decontextualized so much what could we do by adding context but not changing the grammar to make mm -hmm. the other options also correct. Yeah. That's so fun. And it's so much more constructive. It is. It is. Choosing A, B, or C. Yeah. Um, so so to, to complete the picture here with this example, mm -hmm. yes. um, the obvious one, I'll open the window, is because a student has announced themselves with certainty. I'll open the window, therefore saving you, other students, the trouble of opening the window. That's really mm. what they mean. It's not about mm. a mom uh, momentary decision. The mm -hmm. next one, I thought, uh, okay, maybe the teacher has the back to the classroom because he's writing up on the whiteboard or something. And he's like, oh, it's so hot in here. One of the students has already gotten up to go and open the window. And they're a little bit aggrieved by this. It's like, oh, I'm going to open the window. Because, of course, in, in a text-based test, there's no pronunciation mm -hmm. element anyway. So you don't yeah. get that kind of like feeling. Where so much meaning exists. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. do they say about uh, communication? It's like 3% what you say and the rest is how you mm -hmm. say it. Uh, and yes. then the last option, I'm opening the window. What if the teacher was blind? Mm -hmm. The students mm -hmm. just happily, you know, very helpfully, teacher, I'm standing up. I'm approaching the window now and I'm opening the window. Okay, teacher, that's the noise you can hear. Okay, I'm not leaving or anything. <laughs> so the teacher's blind. The student is just being kind and uh, explaining what they're doing. So there all you go. Hey, possible. presto, all three all of them of are possible. If only yes. there was the context for them. Yes. And talking about this is a much healthier way of looking at language than yeah. telling students. Because, you know, these tests and these exercises, multiple choices, gap fills, they what message are they sending to the student they're sending a message that language is mathematical technical um learnable through through looking at charts and tables and 
not a matter of communication, or at least yeah. communication is a sort of secondary yeah. element to it, which yeah. it, and they, it isn't. It's the they, primary They say element. something else as well, actually. Because mm. if you have a teacher who likes to look at the difference according to context, and then you have a test where there is no context and you mm. don't have the chance to explain it, what the test is telling the student is, we are so desperate to put a number against your name, we're going to take away the opportunity for you to explain yourself, and we're going to penalize creativity simply for convenience. Now, if we had infinite money and infinite time, we would sit you down and this would be an oral test where you go through and you explain what you think is happening in each sentence we grade accordingly but nobody can afford that either because of money for teacher salaries or mm. time or both mm -hmm. so we're going to make a test that isn't quite fit for purpose but it's fit enough because it's going to give us a number and your parents expect to see a number and the school expects to give you a number three or four mm -hmm. times a year and that's good enough for us and that is basically more important to us than your ability to speak English. Exactly. Yeah, that's, it, that's is, the it is at least there, kind of it? gratifying a little bit that when you actually sit a Cambridge exam, you know, be it first advanced or proficiency, mm -hmm. I've yet to see a question in an exam that was so open to interpretation. They are well-designed exams in my oh, experience. Oh, yes, yes. Cambridge and Oxford. My, my partner does... Um, uh, she's been she's worked on some, I think, Oxford projects for um, uh, creating test questions. And her brief is like 70 pages long. And it's like a wow. Rubik's Cube. Like yeah. you can't. It's almost impossible to create one of those questions because they don't yeah. let anything slip through. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. so well designed. But, you know, if you look at like I'm look, I'm, I'm drawing my uh, my examples from that we're going to look at in a minute from the English file, for example, mm -hmm. which is uh Pearson, I think. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's not name and shame <laughs> publishers. But um, I mean, some, some are more rigorous than others, I think mm -hmm. is the point yeah. Yeah, that, that you want to make there. And how about I, I, get, I go through some of my favorites. Okay. And we can, we can open them up and discuss the different. This is an exercise yeah, anyone yeah. can do with Let's their do students it. and should do with their students. Um, I'm going to start with uh, one. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. It's Luciana's not here today. She, brackets, not work on Mondays. So you have to choose the correct tense. Luciana's not here today. She, not work on Mondays. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the answer we're expected to give is she doesn't mm -hmm. work on Mondays. Mm -hmm. But I could imagine a context where she isn't working on Mondays is a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, the continuous form gives us a start and a finish. It puts our action in time. So mm -hmm. we're talking about something most likely to be temporary. So yeah. maybe um, she's got a problem with daycare for her child at the moment, mm -hmm. and it's Mondays that she can't get to work, but it might mm -hmm. change in the future. So for the or, time being, she's not working Mondays. Yeah, yeah. Or I was also thinking uh, she, it might be shift work, right? So people do oh, Mondays absolutely. for a couple of months yeah. and then... Wednesdays for another couple of months. Yeah, yeah, all possible. And a lot of my students do do shift work. So this is actually much more relevant to them. The, the really important thing, though, is that if they give an answer that's not the one that's supplied, if they can't explain why, then we shouldn't trust that they're making a choice. Yeah. It could yeah. just be a mistake. You know, or a we guess, can't give, even. yeah, or a guess that's mm -hmm. just 
an errant guess we can't go oh yes that's also correct unless they actually explain it and these sort of things mm -hmm. come up in my classes a lot if the student can't explain it to me it suggests that they've not made a choice and they're just mm -hmm. wrong they haven't completed yeah. learning um the the core idea of the grammar point yes yes i mean uh, all, all good teachers try to get inside their students heads and figure yeah. out what's going oh, on yes. there yeah this is this is um yeah this is key in in whatever you're doing whether it's this or anything else yeah i i agree with you there you have to know that they got their was it, what would a physicist have to do show show their work show your working show the process, yeah right yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so that's one um i'm gonna give you one of my favorites just because uh it's a vocab one but um uh, because I, I used to live in Istanbul, and this one's about Istanbul, so I like this one. Istanbul is an old city with lots of blank buildings, and the options are... I'll read the sentence with each option. Istanbul is an old city with lots of modern buildings. Istanbul is an old city with lots of interesting buildings. Istanbul is an old city with lots of noisy buildings. <laughs> All of these are true. I've lived in Istanbul. Some buildings get very noisy. It's a noisy city. Yes. I think it would be a rare writer who would collocate noisy and buildings. But yeah, you yes. could make an argument for it. Was this one all of these are possible, aren't they? Yeah. Like, How many mm -hmm. answers are given as correct in that case? Is it one or two? I think you're only supposed to get one. Right. So, I mean, yes. what we've got here is a little bit of, um, what would it be called? Cultural hegemony? Uh -huh. Because yes. they're basically thinking, oh, it's an old city. They can't have modern things there. There's a little bit of sort of bias yeah. Yeah, coming yeah. out. I there, mean, New York there? is an old city, but it's full of modern buildings. Mm -hmm. and Istanbul has lots of modern oh, buildings. Oh, it does. It does. <laughs> it's almost patronizing to assume that it doesn't. It's absolutely patronizing. Mm. Yeah. It's mm. like, we're the West. We can have modern buildings in old cities. Look at London with the Shard. Yes. But you can't because yes. you're turkey haha yeah so, yeah there's, just mosques, there's, there's mosques a lot and palaces in turkey there, isn't there yeah there actually the more we think about yeah. it yeah yeah some serious bias going on yeah. um what was the other one i quite like that uh, touching on cultural um things here this one's definitely very culturally specific harry either has to or doesn't have to harry has to go to bed early he's very young harry doesn't have to go to bed early he's very young <laughs> what wow. the <laughs> yeah. yeah right one of my students because we kind of marked it wrong when we did the test my one of my students called me out on it and said like but he doesn't if he's if he's very young he doesn't have to go to school yeah so he doesn't have all, to wake up i mean you can get so to, to you can to get into the early. whole idea of the obligation implied by have to um mm -hmm. if you are so young that you don't have freedom of choice is there any sense applying obligation to your life patterns? I mean, if wow. you've got a, okay. you've got yeah, a baby deeper. in your arms yeah. and you look at the baby and say, you know what, you're getting a bit fat, you need to eat a better diet. And the baby's like, <laughs> you're the one feeding me. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, because uh, this is a good point. Have to doesn't even apply to very young children um, because this sort of um, institutional obligation, which is mm -hmm. what have to is essentially uh, expressing doesn't apply yeah yeah it yeah that's it's, that's it's interesting very, it is a very tricky one for for um 
course book writers, especially at lower levels. I mean, it doesn't get much easier as you go up and you have more and more possible right answers. So mm. it must be really difficult to design a, a, a course book that would satisfy on every front at C1 or C2 level. Mm. Um, but I mean, you, you think about the the enormous flexibility in um, one action interrupted by another action, and this is a, a staple of all kind of um, B one plus books or A two plus books. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the the phone rang when I was having a shower, for example. Okay, that yes. sort of thing, and you have to identify which is the long action and which is yeah, the, short the short action. action. And then the students yeah. start saying, "But teacher, that's not really a short action, is it?" I mean, if the phone rings but you don't answer it, that's quite long. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you can get into the relative length of the action, and yeah, but I don't. One is I, I, than the other. It's not. This it's is, not the way it works. No, it? exactly. But this is what's so beautiful about kind of getting really to the heart of grammar is that you don't mm. need to talk about relative lengths because then that's just another layer of complexity for the student. Yeah. Um, the way I talk about it with my students now is complete. And it, the problem I've got is that it's not really supported by any of the course books. There's no kind of grammar guide in the course book that labels it or describes it the same way, which makes it difficult. But what I tell students is that um, if you look at a simple form, we're only, we're only interested in the truth of the action. That's all. When it happens, how long it takes, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. We are only interested in the truth of the action. And as mm -hmm. you said earlier, it exists outside of time. Mm -hmm. It's a with naked verb. Exactly. When we look at a continuous form, though, we're taking it and putting it in time. Mm -hmm. And by putting it in time, it's going to have a start and a finish. And that's classic Lewis. And if it has yeah. a start and a finish, it gives us a space in time in which another action can sit. We can move that kind of point into here somehow. But you have to decide which one is going to be which. Which one are you just interested in the truth? And which one do you want to feel for the action going on? And I mm. use a little metaphor here. And I talk to my students about the mind and the body. Like the mind you have like, or even the soul, if you prefer it, if mm. you're a more mm. kind of spiritual bent. Mm. When we think about the soul, where is the soul? Where does it reside? Well, that's not the point. The point is that mm. it's supposed to be true. You have a soul. You can't label mm -hmm. the body and say, well, that's where the soul is. It's just it exists where mm -hmm. who knows mm -hmm. the body. However, the corporal body um, has um, something a to physical it. It has physical makeup. Yes. physicality. It has mm -hmm. a beginning, usually the toes and an end, the head or the other way around. <laughs> yes. It depends on your perspective. Yeah. So song you're singing. You, and you can touch the body. Mm -hmm. You can yeah. feel it. You can't you can, feel you can... the soul quantify it exactly yeah. you can't feel mm -hmm. the soul so if we're talking about an action where we're not trying to feel it we just appreciate that it exists then we go for a simple form but if we want to feel the action we use the continuous this is mm -hmm. how i show the difference between present perfect simple and present perfect continuous if somebody says um why are you sweaty and you say well i've i've exercised all day you're just talking mm -hmm. about the truth of the action. But if someone says, mm -hmm. why are you sweaty and out of breath? And you say, oh, I've been exercising all day. The choice of the continuous form gives that verb a body that you can kind of mm -hmm. manhandle a little mm -hmm. bit and feel. And you're like, oh, yeah, I feel <laughs> yeah. Yeah. why you're sweaty and out of breath and so tired.
it feel you can feel it more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going into sort of slightly different territory, but I think we could probably apply the same filter, um, ING and two, especially when we're looking at things where both are possible. You know, yeah. uh, he, 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 he likes to have a drink on a Friday and he likes drinking on a Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you ask, you ask sort of, a, I use this term reluctantly, native speaker mm. um, of English, um, who isn't a teacher, who, who doesn't, think about things like teachers do and say what's the difference they are going to be bugged by that all day they're going to be thinking and they can never really get to it because it's so abstract but this is the same sort of thing one is kind of corporeal and one is abstract one is like the soul one is the body possibly possibly um Mm -hmm. i had this discussion just this last week actually with one of Mm -hmm. my colleagues at work because she was asking me um which are the verbs that require an ing form straight after the main verb like with keep you know you Mm -hmm. keep doing something you can't say keep to do you have to say keep Mm -hmm. doing and i said Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know the list of verbs i don't know which verbs need that but can't you figure it out from first principles and she's like well what do you Mm -hmm. mean figure it out from first principles and i said well substitute something else for the complement of the verb what else can you keep i mean you can keep a pet right She's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you can keep a pet. It's like, okay. So, well, a pet is a noun. It was a noun phrase. Mm-hmm. So that comes after keep, a noun or a noun phrase. Well, mm-hmm. if it's a verb that we're using, what will we change the verb to so that it fits as a noun? Well, we'd use the gerund. That's mm-hmm. the ing form of the verb. So if you keep mm-hmm. doing something, then you keep a noun just as you would do keep a dog or keep a cat. So it, it follows as a pattern. Two we see as well in directions. Um, I want to go from here to, I don't know, Warsaw, for mm. example. Mm-hmm. So Warsaw is my destination and I'm going in that direction. Directional You, you can consider yes. it the same way with verbs. I like mm-hmm. to drink. So you see yourself moving towards mm-hmm. the action. Mm-hmm. I like drinking. You're thinking of the noun itself. Now, mm-hmm. in most contexts, there's going to be almost no difference between I like drinking and I like to drink. Mm-hmm. But if you change the verb to stop, there's a very big difference. You can mm-hmm. stop a noun and that means preventing the noun. But you can mm-hmm. stop to and then you're moving to the direction of that verb. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I yeah. stopped to smoke means you stopped some other action to move to the direction of the action smoke. Whereas I stopped smoking. Smoking is the noun for the thing that you do. Like you could say, Oh, I stopped the lift. Mm -hmm. I mean, that still fits the compliment and it has the same effective meaning. So as, as a system, I feel like, like it works. It does work. I mean, you do have things like, you know, a need, for example, or even want, uh, would have a noun, you know, I need a cup of tea. But you could also have a, you wouldn't have, I need uh, drinking a cup of tea. No, but that's the same with like, isn't it? So yes. it, it depends. But what we're looking at here is not so much uh, grammar, but Lexis, really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. isn't it? Because need, mm-hmm. you satisfy a, a need and you find that you have need as a noun as well. But need lexically suggests that it will be satisfied uh, by an action or by a thing. I need Mm -hmm. something or I need to go somewhere or to do something. Mm -hmm. But that won't be true of every verb. Some verbs will only be um, satisfied by one or the other of those. Or 
the way that they're satisfied by one or the other will determine the meaning of the verb. Yes, yes. So this is first principles again. Exactly. Yeah, going back to it. And probing. Probing is, is exactly. a good way of, of yeah. figuring this out. Okay, good. We got deep with that one. Um, <laughs> a couple, I know I'm aware that it's getting late where you are, but um, I want to throw two more examples at you. Just, Please. Um, yes. Because for these tests, uh, we, we looked so far, everything we've been discussing has been in sort of standard English. And, yeah. and we've been discussing sort of standard English examples. Another thing that the, these tests and the, the, the sort of shoddiness of the design of some of them um, can reveal is uh, sort of colloquialisms mm -hmm. and spoken grammar and, you know, yeah. casual language. Um, so uh, I've got a few examples here. Yeah. Phil, so the task is to choose a gerund or infinitive, as we were just discussing, actually, interestingly. Um, and the, the, it is, it isn't easy, brackets, learn Chinese. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we, they want you to say it isn't easy to learn Chinese. Yeah. 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 But how common is it isn't easy learning Chinese? Incredibly common. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Different, different meaning. Very subtly different meaning. Yeah, there's a subtly different meaning. One is, uh, there's a sort of sequentiality. Is that the right, is that even a word? A sort it can of be, why not? Sequence, let's make it a word. Yes. A sequentiality is definitely not a word. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> of, uh, of the two, isn't there? Like you have a sort of one thought followed by another thought. It isn't easy to learn Chinese. Effectively, it, yeah. Yeah, you could look yeah. at it that way. But it isn't easy learning Chinese, sort of, they're, they're both kind of there mingling together. At the they same, are. I would point. say that this is an example of where our knowledge of existence and of life comes to bear on the meaning mm -hmm. that is imparted. If you mm -hmm. say it isn't easy to learn Chinese, you either know that because you've tried or you know that because somebody told you or you read it somewhere. Chinese mm -hmm. isn't easy to learn. Mm -hmm. It isn't easy learning Chinese suggests that you are either making the attempt or you have in the past, but you have some sort of first-hand experience. It suggests that. Mm -hmm. But I feel that mm -hmm. it suggests that mm -hmm. not so much because of the grammar, but because of what we bring to the context. We know yes. that when we've tried things that aren't easy, we describe that thing that isn't easy by way of a noun rather than mm -hmm. the general application of a, a directed verb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking again also about your body and soul thing here. I think it, it somewhat applies here as well. Oh, yeah. It isn't yeah. easy to learn Chinese, feels um, detached from the body or from, from the reality or whatever. Because it's the same the for time. everybody. Yeah, it's very, very objective. It isn't easy learning Chinese, like you said. It's, it's like your present perfect, I've been working out all day. It's, you can feel the pain yeah. the oh absolutely out, the, the suffering, suffering or um, Chinese or when I put my back out and I have to bend down to do up my laces like oh it isn't easy doing up my laces right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. that's what I would prefer to say yeah. because it's my would... my body is the one defeating me <laughs> I'm not talking generally you know <laughs> yeah. one one finds that it is not easy to complete the section <laughs> no that's too <laughs> right. yeah you wouldn't say it isn't easy to to bend down right now um yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great. And okay, one more. Um, just I really want to see if we can squeeze colloquialisms mm -hmm. into here. Um, but maybe maybe everything does simply fall into um, into these categories. It is just give me a second. Yeah, okay. Jack dances blank 
than Francis. Jack dances not as bad than Francis. Jack dances less bad than Francis. Jack dances worse than Francis. Now, I don't think this is colloquialism as now I'm reading it, but um, yeah, because there is a difference in meaning here. It's yeah. not so much a meaning, but a, a difference in emphasis, right? If you yeah. want to say Jack dances worse than Francis, it's quite a neutral sentence. Yeah. But if you say Jack dances less bad than Francis, it's like you're already, you've been comparing a bit more earlier. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of? Mm. And it's interesting, really, because here it's like, oh, here are two options. And the course book thinks one of them is wrong or one of them is right. Mm. And then the very same course book, I almost guarantee it, the same course book will teach you the difference between few and a few. Mm -hmm. And it's the same situation. If you say I have few apples, then you're starting a, a low number and you're thinking negatively. But if you mm -hmm. say, I have a few apples, you're at the same low number, but you are subjectively positive about it. Yeah. yeah. And what we see is the same phenomenon in your example sentence. So it's really yes. interesting that one thing here is prioritized in the course, but this is something we're going to teach, whereas the same sort of thing in a different context. Um, OK, now that's wrong. This is right. Mm -hmm. And it's not a teachable moment. Yeah, yeah. So you have these poor yeah. students wondering why we say few and a few, mm. and then they finally become convinced that there is a difference, and then they meet the same idea, the same concept in a different context, and and the teacher says, actually, no, that one's wrong, and the student goes, oh, why? Yeah, you said, you said, you said, yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. So, yeah, so it's just a matter of being optimistic or, or not, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, so it's a bit of subjectivity. Yeah, Jack's pretty bad at dancing, but he is less bad than Francis. Yeah, so yeah. you're being nice, nice to Jack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I know that the conceived wisdom would be to say he isn't as bad as Jack, but less bad. Yeah, I would use that. Put, put it in a corpus, you'll find it. People, oh, absolutely. People say this. Absolutely. People do say this. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, you're making, you're, you're marking it. You're making it, you're emphasizing it a little. And perhaps even adding a little humor or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That language is, is fun. Yeah. And, and oh, absolutely. enjoyable to use. Yeah. 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 Cool. That, great. Okay. Well, that's a good one to finish with. Uh, it's less <laughs> bad than the others. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, let's, let's move on to talking about your book. So, I haven't read your book, um, unfortunately, uh, but you know what? I'm going to. Uh, so it's, it's the impression I'm getting so far is that it's um, the, I, I will enjoy reading it in the same way that I enjoyed reading the English verb. Yeah, because you'll, you'll notice a lot of similarities. Mm. And I'm not saying that mm. I've plagiarized Lewis or anything, but mm. um, I cover a lot of the same ground because I feel that you need to cover that yeah, ground to get to the next step. And I yeah. feel that the next step is uh, the Holy Grail, which is the ultimate simple understanding of conditionals. Yes, and this what this is a big question I want to ask you. So you're focusing on a conditional specifically here. Uh, well, that's one of the chapters, and the chapters mm. that lead up to it certainly do that. One of the other things is that um, I'm convinced that present perfect is not taught well, and it's not introduced mm. properly in a lot of course books. Um, mm. It's quite a simple thing to fix, but how many times have you heard a course book describe present perfect as a past action that has a present consequence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
It's like that all okay. the time, yeah. But what yeah, if there course, is no? Yeah, yeah. What if there's no present consequence? What if there was no past action? I mean, how do you explain negatives in present perfect? If you say I haven't mm. been to China, there was no past action. Mm-hmm. So how could yeah, there, how could that nothing, still follow? Nothing the to hold on yeah. to there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's actually quite a simple trick to fix that, and it's just a mm-hmm. matter of rotating the idea. The Go present on. perfect is what we use in the present when we are thinking about the past. Yes. Is the present perfect after all? It is. It is. Mm-hmm. But it's that choice. It's a choice. And I always tell my students it's a choice. You're in the present and you're choosing to think about the past. And when you're faced with one of these tasks that says, do you use present perfect or past simple? The answer is basically, am I choosing to look at the past or am I just putting myself in the past? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I explain it this way, my students tend to do a hell of a lot better in those sort of tasks. You yeah. know, it, it clears the fog. They suddenly go, oh, OK, so if I'm in the present, so can I say yesterday? I say, well, is it yesterday now? And they go, well, no, it's not. I go, OK, so how can it be yesterday and present perfect if the present perfect is now? They go, mm. well, that's a good point, actually. So then immediately they yeah. get rid of the present perfect yeah. yesterday. Um, yeah. So that's that's one of the things that I go into a lot of detail in the book, uh, but yeah, it is fair to say that quite a lot is concerned with either looking for the heart of the meaning of modal verbs, and that's a big mm-hmm. section. I did a lot of research into the etymology of modal verbs, and that turned up some mm-hmm. interesting stuff. Will is fascinating, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yes, that's an old word. Yeah. 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 Even mm-hmm. more fascinating to me was uh, must. No way. I haven't looked into that one. Okay. That's old too. You can tell because it sounds it is so old. German. It is old. <laughs> yeah. But I'll yeah. stop there because I, it's spoiler alert, I suppose. It's a spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah, you have to get the book. <laughs> English is a simple language. Um, I want to ask you a question. So you, you mentioned the Holy Grail, right? Being being the um, ultimate sort of um, core meaning of the, of the conditionals. And yeah. You know, with Lewis and what we're we're doing throughout this entire podcast episode, and sounds like also through your book, there's this sort of quest. Isn't yes, there? there's this sort of mission to find the 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 underlying like um, meaning of of aspects of the language. Now, because there are um, other sort of um, areas of of, of linguistics that look at language in a very different way and they see mm-hmm. it as rather more sort of dynamic and less form um, driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask, I don't know the answer to this question. Um, it's what I love about language is I think no one does, but do you think that looking, is there something at the center there? Is there, is there really something that, that has the Holy Grail? Is there really something that, that unlocks everything does it exist or are we just peeling off layers of onion until we're left with nothing what do you well think? in the case of conditionals there is a holy grail and yeah um i think that tilbury in the language awareness course and lewis and everybody like that they were mm-hmm. basically there but i think it was just that one little refinement of saying that there are two kinds of distance subjective and mm-hmm. objective mm-hmm. now generally we think of conditionals as being either first, second, or third. Yes. And I feel that that number is a clue. Because if we think about like the so-called first, and I don't like these numbers because they don't tell you anything of the meaning. It's just a, it's a little bit like referring to things through the Dewey system. 
If you start mm-hmm. talking to somebody about your favorite books by giving them Dewey reference numbers, they're not going <laughs> to learn which books you like. They're going to learn where to look for them in the library, which is fine, okay. but it makes the conversation a little bit dull for people who don't know Dewey. But if there are three different kinds of conditionals and we've got two forms of distance, mm-hmm. how many combinations of distance do you think we need to make? Mm-hmm. Well, it's three. Mm-hmm. We can start yeah, with, yes, talk me through that. so I'll walk you through it. Mm-hmm. We start with this one, no distance. Okay. No distance. We're talking Example. about, we're talking about no objective distance. So we're talking about the present mm-hmm. and we're talking about things that are real. So mm-hmm. if I have time tomorrow, I will watch this video again. Okay. Yeah. So that's present grammar. We've got the word tomorrow, which points to the future, but it's present grammar and it's mm-hmm. real. It's mm-hmm. it's possible for me to do that sort of thing. Okay. Now, if we introduce one form of distance to our conditionals, we're going to introduce subjective distance. Okay. And I could do the paradox thing. If I had time now, I would talk to you about um, active and passive voice. Okay. I don't have time, which means that talking about it is impossible. To mark that, I'm introducing subjective distance for reality, but Mm -hmm. I'm still talking about the present. Yeah. So the time hasn't changed. And then the last one, I'm going to introduce first the subjective and objective. So I'm going to talk about um, if we had met yesterday, we Mm -hmm. would have talked about different things. Mm Mm-hmm. We didn't meet yesterday, yeah. which changes reality. And yesterday yeah. is in the past, so that's our objective distance. Obje- that's where the objectivity is. Okay, yeah. Back mm-hmm. twice. We go from our present to our past form, past form to the past perfect. Yeah. And there we go. Now, if you were to draw these conditionals up into a table, and that's something that I do in the book as well as in some workshops that uh, different people have run in different places mm-hmm. like uh, IH Kiev, mm-hmm. um, you get a beautiful picture because you've got the no distance present present for the if and the result clause present yeah. and present and that's all you use present forms for uh introducing subjective distance past forms on both sides of the equation and for introducing mm-hmm. both forms of distance past perfect on both sides mm-hmm. and then you don't have to worry about numbers because there's no first, second, third, there's no zero, because zero and the first conditional are effectively the same. You can get rid of mm-hmm. that. You don't have to worry about first conditional using will on one side, because it can use any present form. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we meet again, let's talk about the passive. Yeah. Or if he, do- if, if he does that again, I'm going to kill him. Exactly. There's no (laughs) will there, is there? We've gotten rid of the will because Mm -hmm. will was treated differently in the so-called first conditional. We can Mm -hmm. get rid of it and just say, look, if there's no distance, you just use present forms as -hmm. you'd expect because there's no distance. Yeah. Any present form, as long as it makes sense, you can use it. Yeah. Then when we introduce a bit of subjective distance, you're going to be using past forms. Probably a modal in the past on this side, because your feeling about this if is important. Mm-hmm. The modal verbs introduce your feelings, your mood. So you're yeah. going to use that most likely, but it's going to be a past form. And then if we're going to talk about the past, we're going to introduce both kinds of distance, the objective 
and the subjective. We're going to have past perfect on both sides. And again, probably a modal in the past perfect on one side because you feel it. Mm-hmm. But then if you want to talk about a past condition with a present result, you just yeah. need to go across and then up. That's the thing, isn't it? Mixing, mixing is quite fluid. Exactly, because it becomes, instead of a table of rules, it becomes a schematic. It becomes mm-hmm. a kind of uh, almost like a menu of options. What yeah. would you like to say? Not what are you allowed to say, but what would you like to express? And to express yeah. it, just kind of navigate this little Navigate table. through that, that table. Yeah. Um, if you could send me a copy of that table for the video of this, we'll have that up. Um, so when you're describing it and... Perfect. Have, yeah. have I sent you a copy of the book? You have not. That's just why I haven't read it. <gasps> I don't think so, unless I missed it. I was in the middle of an international move when we were talking. So That's true. That is that. true. Yeah. I'll have a look. Um, um, I've got a PDF that I can send to you. So, so yeah, you, you it's believe... a little, little oh, table sorry, yeah. up there. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll put that up uh, when we're... Uh, when, when it's on, on video form. Um, so you, you, you don't believe that, that it's an onion, <laughs> that language is an onion. You, you believe that there's stuff at the core of, of the features, sort of, um, I don't want to use the word dictating, but sort of uh, affecting or, um, there's a word that I, I'm missing it, deciding what's, uh, how I mean, they use what, what, the what metaphor of the, I think the metaphor of the onion doesn't quite serve the purpose that we want it mm-hmm. to here because okay. if we look if we go back to what we said earlier about the modal verbs that they have this central yeah. meaning and then other meanings that kind of stem from that central meaning an onion yeah. doesn't really work oh that's what I'm saying though I think doesn't cut it does it <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. so you um, want something that emanates out from a center Oh, yeah, that's what I'm suggesting, that it, yeah. it isn't an onion. It oh, isn't that's something right. that yeah. you, you peel away and then it just oh, disappears course. because there's nothing in the middle. Um, yeah. you, you feel that there is something in the middle somewhere yeah. Yeah. that can be dis- explained and described. Yeah, we could think about mm-hmm. a, lot of, um, a lot of the language that we use as being a little bit like a small tree, that the mm-hmm. trunk is the central meaning. And we probably mm-hmm. find the central meaning in most contexts. But the secondary meanings that branch off, literally do, they branch mm, off, yeah, will be related yeah. to that central meaning. They're not going to be completely divorced from it. And mm-hmm. if they look like they're divorced from it, then it's worth closer inspection. And we might find, actually, there is something there. There is a connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I mean, we don't have time to get into it, but um, this is all subjective to change as well, because language changes yeah, and yeah. As we saw with may and might, the tree may. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, may and might over time because they look so similar. They don't have that kind of built-in difference like will and would. They look similar. The idea of um, subjective and objective distance, as it applies to may and might, has kind of gone out the window a little bit because. Yeah. I mean, we we kind of use them interchangeably. We don't think of might as being a more polite or more distant version of may. It's just the way that history's worked and usage has worked. Yes, yes. uh, Yeah, and I find anything that teaches students to analyse the differences is probably sending them off on the wrong track these days. But yeah, um, language changes. Language does. That's the One more question. Um, I should know the answer to this, but um, I think I don't. Are you blogging? Are you you writing 
your ideas down anywhere or are you are, is there anywhere where we can kind of keep up to date with your thoughts uh yeah i have um, <laughs> i wouldn't call it a blog but i do have a mm. kind of central repository which is mm -hmm. uh, closelyobserved.com closelyobserved.com closely observed all one word that's right just like my email address com. and just like my instagram my facebook my youtube it's all under the name closely observed closely i think it's observed. fitting um yeah, yeah. and it's i teach yeah. yes um i don't blog these days i used to um i mm -hmm. much prefer to write for an audience because usually when you write for an audience your work will go through the hands of an editor and that editor yeah. will get his red pen out and that is an opportunity for growth because you know mm -hmm. i like my my writing i think my writing is good but often when i send it to an editor it comes back with a whole host of uh corrections or potential changes and i look at it and go actually do you know what that's a lot better than what i had originally yeah Oh, that process is good. Yeah. Working with other people makes your work better always. Does. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking all that out. And have you got any questions or any comments or? Um, no, none spring to mind, actually. I think yeah. it's, yeah. it's past midnight now. It isn't is. It, We're on the same day. Yes. I've We're finally on. Yeah, it's, both, it's Saturday. Yeah. 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 It's objective yeah. reality. Objective reality has finally reached us at the end yes. of the conversation. Well, thanks, Chris. It's been a real pleasure and um, a, a deeper geek out than I was than I was expecting. And I was expecting quite a geek out. So I'm I'm really pleased that I that we we got to go so deep it's, on this. It's been it's fun, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, stay in touch, and yeah, I'll I'll um I'll keep up to date with your things, and I'm going to read your book. Oh, fantastic! Thank you. I'll send you yeah. a copy. <laughs> oh, lovely. Thanks so much, Chris. Well, well uh, sleep well and uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thank you very much. Yes, likewise. <laughs> All safe. the best. Cool. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.